Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Question for you this morning. How many of you have a, something that you do that you wish you could stop doing? You know, you do that thing, you're like, dang, gone it, I did it again. Why can't I stop doing that? You've tried to break the habit, you've tried to stop doing it, maybe it's something that you've wrestled with your entire life, but you cannot seem to break that habit. You may have even prayed to God and said something like, God, I need some help, would you please help me with this? And you may have bargained or negotiated with God and said something like, if you'll do this and, and you'll do that, then I'll do this, this, and this, and I'll stop this. And maybe you even did stop for a little while. <clears throat> you know, maybe you were able to set whatever it was to the side for a little bit, but you somehow fell back into the bad habit. You somehow found yourself doing it again, and it's, it's just something that you have struggled with. You may have made a promise like, God, please help me. Um, I promise I won't ever cuss again. I promise I won't ever get mad at the kids again. And then you had the unholy hour before the holy hour. Anybody have that? You know what I'm talking about? You wake up for church on Sunday morning, you're going to go to church, you're going to have a, we're just going to go to church, it's going to be nice, it's going to be so nice. Nice. And then on the way, somebody pulls out in front of you, one of the kids says something that triggers you, somebody spills something in the back seat, it all breaks loose, words get said, Tempers flare, and you sit in the parking lot before you get out of the car, and you're like, God, not again. I did it again. So you sit through church. You don't hear anything that, that is said. You don't, you don't participate in worship. You, you feel awful. You're just mad. You're mad at your kids. You're mad at yourself. You're mad at God. You're mad at everybody. And you go home, and the kids are lucky if they get fed, but you feed them. And you, you sit on your phone and you're so depressed, you just sit on your phone and scroll through social media looking at all the perfect people. All the people that don't have the unholy hour before the holy hour. Every hair in place, look at those kids, they're perfect. Why can't I have kids like that? My kids are rascals. Look at that. Why can't I, God, why don't I, you know. And, and, and that just depresses you more, seeing all this, these perfect people who don't have the problems that you have and they don't sin like you sin, and God, I bet they don't have this recurring thing. That, you know, I bet they don't have that. And you get so depressed that eventually you get up and you make your way into the kitchen. And that box that's in the kitchen, big box, two doors on it. You look in the big door, there's not a whole lot in there. that You need something more powerful than that. So you look in the little door, you find something really cold, comes in the pint size, and if you're really depressed, the half-gallon size. And if, it's, you know, if they've been total rascals, the gallon's not out of the question, right? And you make it disappear. And now you're even more depressed. Not only can I not stop getting mad at my kids and saying words that I don't want to say, now I've been a glutton too. God, make it stop. You want to change. You've tried to change. You asked God to help you change, but it didn't work. The title of this message this morning is Stop It. Why can't I stop? What's going on whenever you have a behavior that you 
want to stop, but you just can't seem to do it. And I would say that a lot of the time, it's people who have the right intentions, but they just have the wrong strategy. I, I've said this, when I do the Jesus talk with people, it's one of the things I say is, you know, I want you to do the right thing. As a pastor, I want you to do the right thing. But I want you to do it for the right reason, because here's what I know. If you do the right thing for the wrong reason, you won't do it for very long. There's a right re- when you are an alcoholic and you, 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 know, you talk to experts about this and people who've quit, one of the things that, that they'll tell you is you can't, the, the motive has to be right or you won't stop. You can't quit for a spouse. You can't quit for your kids. You can't quit for a job. You got to quit for you. The motive has to be right. When you try to do the right thing for the wrong reason, that's when you try to be a Christian and you try to do the right thing for the, the wrong reason, here's what I can tell you. You're going to get exasperated, bored, frustrated, but you will not do the right thing for the wrong reason for very long. And so what I'm trying to do as your pastor is to get you to do the right thing for the right reason. So you're trying to change, and that's good, but you're trying to change in the wrong way. Now, trying to address this in one sermon is really, it's probably impossible. There's a lot to unpack. The truth is that whenever you try to change, there are multiple factors that are working against you over whatever habit that you're trying to change. It keeps you stuck in a lifestyle, and we'd like to change, but it's just, it's hard. This morning, I want to show you some factors that, that probably contribute to being part of the problem that you have and why you're having trouble overcoming whatever is it is that's, that's bothering you. Why is it that we can't change? For almost all of us, there is a practical reason why we can't change. A practical reason. Why do we eat the wrong food? We eat the wrong food because it's accessible. When you're trying to diet, one of the things that dietitians will tell you is go into your cupboards, get rid of everything you're not supposed to eat. Throw it out. Just get rid of it. If it's not in the house, you will not eat it. So it's a, that's a physical thing. Why do I overeat? Because, or why, do I, why, am I eat, why can't I lose weight? I'm eating food that it's not going to be conducive to me losing weight. So I've got to change out the food. It's a, it's a practical solution. Why do I oversleep in the morning? Certainly it couldn't have anything to do with the fact that you binge-watched Netflix until 2 a.m. and then didn't set an alarm. You know, you walk in and the boss is, you know, looking at you like, what is going on with you? So sometimes it's just, it's a, there's a practical reason why we can't change. For some, it might be an emotional reason. A lot of us have emotional wounds, baggage. You know, stuff has happened in our life, and <clears throat> it creates trust issues. It creates forgiveness issues. It's, you know, you've been hurt. <clears throat> I know people that, that can't go back to church because a pastor hurt them or, or, you know, a church hurt them. And just let me stop real quick and say, I am flawed. I am not perfect. And if you follow me long enough, I'm probably going to hurt you. Okay, I don't want to hurt you. It's the last thing I want. But it's, that's true of anybody. If you're around them long enough, they, they're probably going to do something. You're going to go, ah, that, you know, that, ow. But, but we, get, we get this baggage. And, and so, you know, it could be that you've got so much baggage that you need to seek counseling for some of the stuff that has built itself up in your life. And there's nothing wrong with getting counseling. It amazes me the people that think that counseling is a demonstration of weakness. It is not. It could be the best thing you ever did for your life and your, your house and your spouse. So there's a practical reason, there's an emotional reason, and then there might be relational reasons why you can't overcome 
some of the things you're trying to overcome. In other words, it's really hard to get healthy when you're surrounded by unhealthy people doing unhealthy things. You got to be careful who you surround yourself with. It's uh, interesting. You know, I, raise, I, have two, I have three kids. My daughter just got married two weeks ago. Man, she was pretty. Hard to, hard to believe that, that I had anything to do with that. Um, and just amazing to look at her and see the woman she's become. Just amazing to me. But I have, I have a daughter. She's the youngest. And I have two. She had two older brothers. <laughs> I raised them right, y'all. I raised them on the good stuff. Foreigner. Boston, you know, the, the Eagles, Rush, Tom Petty, for crying out loud, raised them on the good stuff. And when they were prepubescent, middle teen, I started hearing things come out of their room from their speakers that I did not recognize. And I thought, what in the world? I mean, that sounds like a cat dying in there which isn't necessarily a bad thing on its mer- own merits. You know, I take shots at cats all the time. I really don't hate cats. I really, it's just funny to make fun of cats. Uh, so if you're a cat person, don't take it personal. But don't give me one either, okay? <laughs> I don't want one. <laughs> but I would hear stuff coming out of the speakers, and I'm like, that sounds horrible. I mean, even as a kid, I understand when I was a young kid, I wasn't listening to the stuff my parents were listening to either. And they probably heard it coming out of my speakers and thought the exact same thing. And now, let me explain part of that to you, parents. If you don't understand it, they're not going to listen to them. You may try to get them to like your music. They're not going to do it. They do not want to be identified with you. And if you like it, that's all the reason they need to say that, that that's horrible. And so I was hearing this music. Both of my boys got into bands and things. And it wasn't necessarily bad, you know, bad influences. It's just bad music. But, you know, when you raise kids, you kind of learn if you just bear up under it long enough, it'll go away, it'll change, and it did, it changed, and they eventually um, came around to better forms of music. I was so proud of my daughter at her wedding. She played some, she had a great playlist. And I remember sitting at the reception thinking, I'm so proud of her. (laughs) I'm so proud. But I asked my boys later, when they got older, I said, hey, let's talk about the music you used to listen to. Did you really like that? No. I mean, you know, I listen. Why did you listen? Well, I listened because that's what my friends listened to. And here's what went on. They were hanging out with somebody that looked up to somebody that was listening to that garbage, that somehow somebody convinced somebody that it was cool to listen to that. And if you want to be cool, that's what you listen to, even if you don't like it, even if you know at at your core, this really isn't very good music. Here's how you know something's a classic. It's when you grow out of it and you grow older and then you look back and you, want, you like it more now than you did then. That's how you know it's classic music. And, and you know, I was w- with Bennett in the car not long ago and we we're talking about a band he used to listen to. I said, do you still listen to them? He said, God, no. You're like, no. I can't imagine. Okay. So here's what I tell young people all the time. Be very careful who you surround yourself with. You will go as far in life as, as the, the kind of friends and people you put around you. You put good people around you, you'll go a lot farther in life. And here's the, uh, the other thing I tell young people. It's very hard to make good friends. 
because good friends are good people, and good people are very selective about who they let in their life. You kind of have to prove yourself to good people. You say, well, that's snobbish. No, that's smart. I don't, there's a gate. I don't just let any, I mean, I'll talk to anybody, but people that I give influence to in my life, you've got to be a good person to, to, to reach that inner pl- space, right? You've got to be vetted. I have to know that you're not going to take me someplace that God doesn't want me to go, and, and that's, you know, good people, good friends, that's the way they are. That's the reason it's harder to make good friends. It's easy to make bad friends. Because, you know, bad friends, bad people, just they want to make everybody bad around them so they can feel better. So it could be that you've got some friends that contribute to the bad behaviors and your relationships are kind of jacking you up. Could be practical, could be emotional, could be relational. Here's the thing, it could be, it could be physical. Meaning that some of us are stronger in some, some areas of our life and some are just more vulnerable. We may have some jacked up neural pathways. We may have some chemical imbalances in our brain. And I've talked to people who, you know, they've kind of had doctor confirmed things about, you know, you're, you're, there's an imbalance there. We need to correct that. And they don't, th- that person says, Brett, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, why not? Well, because it's just not normal. Well, it's not normal for your heart to act up either. But when our heart acts up, we go to a heart doctor and they tell us what's wrong and they fix it. And they give us some medicine to fix it. If you've got a gallbladder that's acting up, they take it out. You know, there's, there's things that they can do to fix this. But somehow when it's a chemical imbalance, we get this thing like we're less than everybody else. And that's not true. And the, the frustration, and if you've ever been around somebody that, that kind of needs some medical help with the way their mind works one of the frustrations is they don't want to take their medicine. There's a stigma there. They just, they, it, and I don't, I've never had that, so I, I can't speak like an expert to it, but um, I think that they probably, it, maybe they feel bad, I'm not sure, but they, there just seems to be this thing where they don't want to take the medicine, or they don't, they don't want to acknowledge. And, and you know what, just, it's okay. It's okay, you just need a little help in that way. It doesn't make you less than anybody. I certainly don't respect you any less. So it could be practical, it could be emotional, it could be relational or physical, but the heart of the issue almost every time, I would probably say every time, is there's a spiritual challenge. There's a spiritual problem. At the very heart, the very reason most people can't change, the root issue is almost always a spiritual cause. And what happens with many people, whether they're Christian or not, they're trying to meet a spiritual need with something besides God. There's a void, there's a longing, there's an emptiness, and that emptiness, they're trying to fill it with something that was designed to be filled with God, and they're throwing all kinds of things into that hole, and nothing is quite the same shape as that void that is inside them. So everything they try to put in there, it just doesn't work. And, and, and you know, that's, that's, a, that's the reason that they struggle spiritually to change whatever. So today, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the spiritual element of change. Why can't you change? For so many people, the reason you can't change is because you're focusing on the poison of religion and not on the power of grace. That's really where we're going today. There is a spiritual issue for many people, and the issue is there, there's two roads you can walk. You can walk down the road of poison of religion, or you can walk down the road of the power of grace. And you say, well, Brett, you're a you're a pastor, aren't you religious? No. 
No, don't call me religious. I don't want to be religious. When I'm up here talking to you, I'm not trying to make you religious. You think about the way I talk to you, and you ask yourself this question. Does he tell me what to do? Do this and don't do that. I do not. What I'm trying to do is to get you as close to the feet of Jesus as I can get you so that you can experience his love. And here's what I know. We're going to talk about it a little bit toward the end. His love will change you. That's what this whole message is about. You will change. You, if, men, do you want to change your wife? Here's how you change your wife. You love her. You really love her. Figure out how to show her that you love her. Ladies, are you trying to change your husband? That's how you do it. You love them. Men need, you know, women need respect too, but it's a really big thing for men. You, you respect and love your husband and watch him change. You say, Brett, are you religious? No, I'm not. I don't like being called religious. I don't want to be religious. I don't want Cross Lane to be religious. We used to say around here that when we see religion, we take the biggest stick we can find and beat the crap out of it. Because <laughs> we, we're not trying to get you to be religious. Right? It's not, not interested in that. Religion is doing, my definition of religion is doing the same thing over and over trying to get God to like you. I'm not interested in that. Here's what I know. I know I'm a rascal. I know I've got issues in my life. I know I've made mistakes. You know, I mean, we, I was talking to a good friend this morning. We've all got stuff that we look back and go, man, what was I thinking? And so my life, like your life, is littered with bad decisions, bad mistakes, sometimes willing things that we just did and said, you know, I don't care, I'm just going to do it. And it cost us, and, and, you know, now we think about it, and we stand before God, and we just want to bow our heads and just go, God, I'm so sorry. But here's what I do. I wake up every morning, and I know God likes me. You may not like me, but God likes me. God loves me. And I wake up every morning, and I know God loves you, Brett. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to do anything to earn that love. It's given. He loves you. See, the world today, when they think of a religious person, or they might think of a Christian or a churchgoer, um, they, they, they think of, they want to call them religious. But the root word of religion is actually something that I don't want anything to do with. Uh, in fact, if you're not a church person, um, you might say something like, you know, I don't like religion, to which I would respond, me either. You know, me too. We say that a lot around here. Me too. Oh, you're jacked up? Me too. You don't always get it right? Me too. You struggle with that? Me too. At Cross Lane, we're not trying to be more religious. It's quite the opposite. We're trying to be less religious. Jesus came along and he said, I really don't like religious acting people. I don't like to see hypocrisy in people. What is religion? Religion is, is the, it, you know, it's the poison of religion. Here's our working definition of religion this morning, just to kind of give it to you. Our attempt to earn God's approval by following all the rules. That's religion. To, to please God, to earn his love by somehow following and obeying the law. And here's what I'd tell you. It's basically our attempt to please God without God. You can't do that. The reason many people find it so difficult to change is that they're trying to change by religion and not by grace. In fact, what I want to do is I want to show you the most powerful verse in Scripture that you probably don't know. There are all kinds of verses that we know. We can probably quote, you know, if you've been going to church for a while, you probably have a favorite verse. Um, some of you might have something tattooed on your arm or, 
or on your coffee mug, or you know, you scroll through social media, and there's always memes, and there's pictures, and verses, and things. This is a verse that you probably have not ever seen like that, but this is a powerful verse of scripture. It comes out of Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That is the most amazing news you are ever going to hear. The grace of God offers salvation to all people. If you're a follower of Jesus, especially if you have come to Christ here, if you've listened to any teacher from this stage, the message you're going to hear is a message of grace. God loves you. you I've I've said this many times. I'll say it again. If they told me I was going to die of a heart attack in five seconds, Brett, here's a microphone. You get to talk to your congregation one last time for five seconds. What do you want to say to them? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. Because that's the thing that most adults have the hardest time believing. Right? You don't know what I've done. Here's what happens. Most Christians know, you know, it's like they already know they're saved. And they know that they're not saved by works or, or by effort or their best attempt. But they know that they've been made right by God. The, way we, the word that you find in Scripture is the word righteous. And, you know, I try to, whenever we do that, take that big Bible word and reduce it down so that we can understand it. And you probably get sick of hearing this, but that tells me that it's taken root in your life. But that just means right standing with God. You are made right with God by the grace of God through faith. You, you, our sins are forgiven by the grace of God. We are made right with God by grace. God loves us because of his grace. We are saved by grace. Salvation makes grace available. Grace makes salvation available to anybody. Anybody. Doesn't matter how bad you are, doesn't matter what you've done. And somebody, you know, is probably thinking, he does not know what I've done. He does not know what I've done. I don't need to know. I don't care. I don't care what it was, don't care when it was, don't care how many people were involved, who you hurt. I don't care. God's grace is bigger than your capacity to sin. There's not a sin that you've committed that God's grace is not bigger than and can't take care of. It's bigger than your bad deeds. It's bigger than your bad thoughts. Grace is available to you. So what is grace? That Greek word translated grace, in Greek, if you were going to say it in Greek, it's charis. Kind of sounds like you're trying to hock something up. Kind of gross. I hate it when it does that. Charis. Charis. It means unmerited. Unearned. It's a gift. You can't buy it. It's God's power and his strength. And the good news is it's always a gift. You can never be good enough to earn it. There's not enough money you've got to buy it. You can't do enough good works to deserve it. It just doesn't work that way. It's got to be given to you. It's why I talk about humility so much. You've got to humble yourself to admit, I can't earn something that God wants to give me. I have to humble myself and say, I don't deserve this. Now, most of you know that. But what happens, hopefully not to Christians that go to Cross Lane, but I'm sure that somebody struggles with this. But what happens is, uh, you know, Christians seem to think, well, I'm saved by grace and God forgives me. Now it's all on me. Now it's up to me. I've got to get it done. I've got to try harder. I've got to check all the boxes on the law. I've got to do it all the right way. 
I got to follow the rules. And then they get what I would call Christian face. Christian face. You know, they try, try, try. I'm going to try so hard. I'm going to really try. And you walk up to them and you say, What are you doing? And they say, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to look at things I shouldn't look at. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm trying to be good. And you want to say to them, okay, because what it looks like is that you're trying to go to the bathroom right now is what it looks like, right? They're so worked up. They're so tense. They're so intent on, on being good. It's the grace of God that changes us. It is the grace of God that saves you, and it's also the grace of God that sustains you. It's the saving grace of God, but it's the sustaining grace of God. It's the grace that forgave you, and it's also the grace that will transform you. Yeah, Brett, but why can't I change? Let's look at what Scripture says. Titus again. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So what's Paul saying? He's saying that grace is teaching us to say no to something that is displeasing to God. It teaches us to have a self-controlled, upright life. Now what's the it? It, it, it that teaches us to live this life that glorifies God? What is the it? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not the rules, it's not the law, it's not religion, it's not you trying to do the right thing all the time. It's not you trying to behave yourself in front of an angry God that's watching. You know, like, like God is up in heaven with his arms crossed and he's watching every move we make and it's like, you know, oh, I messed up again, I knew they were going to mess up again. Look at them, they messed up. Listen, if you think that it's going to be a surprise the next time you mess up to God, you don't understand God. It's not like God is up there going, look, Jesus, they messed up again. Loser! That's not how God looks at you. (laughs) You know, arms crossed, angry. No, he's like, when are they going to learn? When are they going to? Those of you who are parents, You've got kids. You know your kids are going to get into things. You know they're going to act up. You know they're going to make mistakes. The question is, how much is it going to cost you? Right? What's it going to cost me? How much work am I going to have to do? How bad is it going to be? There's not a question that they're going to get into things and mess stuff up. Here's what it is. It's the grace of God. The grace of God that teaches us to say no to those things that are harmful to us. It isn't your grit. It's God's grace. It isn't your strength. It's God's spirit. The grace that saves you is also the grace that sustains you. The challenge is we focus on the wrong thing. Why can't I change? We get focused on the poison of religion, and and we do that at the expense of the power of God's grace. Okay, Brett, but why have I not been able to overcome this thing that continues to haunt me? Why can't I change? 
I want to contrast religion and grace. And I want us to see how God uses grace to change us and conform us to more of the image of the likeness of his son. First, let's contrast the focus of the two. What is the focus of religion? The focus of religion is always outward. The focus of religion is always outward. You know you're dealing with a religious person when they're trying to get you to understand how much they pray, how many times they go to church, how spiritual they are. I say this all the time. It's really easy to look spiritual. It's really hard to be spiritual. Because why is it so hard to be spiritual? Because being spiritual is about not trying to show off how spiritual you are. And you know you're dealing with someone who's religious when all they want to do is try and show you how religious they are. So religion is always outward focused. It's what other people see. It's the outward part. I'm going to stop yelling at my kids. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to get addicted. It's the house. It's the outside. It's external things. It's what other people see. The focus of religion is always outward. Jesus taught about this in Matthew 23. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Let me illustrate this for you. You ever gone into your dishwasher and you were going to get a cup out of there and drink something? You're like, I'll get one out of it. You know, these are clean. I'm going to get one of these. And you think they're clean. You look in there. Everything looks clean on the outside. And you take it out. You're going to pour your coffee or whatever it is that you're going to get. But before you do, you look in there and you're like, ew, that's not clean. And you put that back and you run the dishwasher, right? Because it looks good on the outside. But the inside, it's a mess. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Why can't we change? For some, it's the spirit of religion which focuses on the outside, but the power of grace is always focused inward. It's focused inward. Religion focuses on what other people may not always see. It's God's working, it's God working in us. That's why in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Religion focuses on the outward. Grace focuses on the inward. There are certain types of Christians that go to certain types of churches, and it takes on a very religious focus because it's all about what you can see. And there have been times that people have probably watched me in a restaurant or something and I haven't bowed my head to pray so that everybody could see. Doesn't mean I didn't pray. There have been times I've gone to a restaurant and eaten and not prayed. That's okay too. It doesn't make you a bad Christian if you don't pray before every meal. Now, if that's something you do and you're like, that's really important to you, that's fine. That's fine. It doesn't mean if, if I don't pray before a meal that I'm some kind of lousy Christian and, you know, they, he doesn't care anything about God. No, that's not what that means at all. Religious, religion focuses on the outward. Grace focuses on the inward. You see, one thing is about behavior and the other is about your heart. Just trying to fix a behavior seldom works unless you address what's going on in the heart. 
And we pursue God when we pursue him with all of our hearts, which is the key to all of this, is to just be in pursuit of God with your whole heart. Here's what I can tell you. Someone who's struggling to change something, once they lock on to God and they say, I'm just going to pursue God with my whole heart, that person's going to change. They can't help but change. Let's look at another difference. What does religion say versus what grace says? Religion says, try harder. If it's going to be, it's up to me. You need to do better. You need to stop. you got to try harder. But grace says, trust more. Trust more. In other words, I'm not trying to do this in my power. I'm trusting God to help me with this. This is the way Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had something going on in his life. We don't really know what it was, but it was big enough that it drove him to ask God, please take this away from me. Please get rid of this. This is a problem for me. It's, it's a big problem for me. Whatever it was, we would not have liked it. Paul didn't like it. And God said, no. No, I'm not taking that away from you. And then he said this. Paul said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, oh, I get it now. I'm not strong when I'm strong. But when I'm weak, God's grace is perfected in me. That's when God is strong through me. That's, why, that, that's when I change. It's not when I'm trying harder. It's when I'm trusting more. And here's where I hope it all comes together for you this morning. When you really trust God's grace, that he loves you, that you're right with him, not by what you do or you don't do, but, but by his unmerited favor of love that he gives to you and to me. When, when you start to trust in that and you understand that he always loves you, even when you mess up, he loves you. That his grace sustains you in those moments when you're like, God, I did it again. What, what? God, I don't even want to talk to you anymore because I, I just feel like I can't. I did it again. You don't have to act. You don't have to be a hypocrite. You don't have to be one way on the outside and another way on the inside. When you know that the same grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you, you can be honest. You can be honest with God. You can be honest with other people. Why does this matter? Because you are only as strong as you are honest. You're only as strong as you are honest. And when you recognize that the same grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you, you can be honest enough to take the things that are going on in the dark and bring them out into the light and fully expose them and say, I actually do have a problem and I need help. And that is when change starts to happen because whatever you keep in the dark and you keep hidden, it's going to stay the same. But when you bring it out into the light, it changes. Sin grows best in the dark. But when you recognize that the same grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you, you can be honest and you can ask for help. Now, right now is a moment of truth for some of you because uh, you have to decide, am I going to keep pretending? Am I going to continue to try to fake everybody out? No, I want to be honest. I want to be transparent. I want to be different. See, it's incredibly risky and vulnerable 
to talk about parts of your life that you're not proud of. It's risky, because I've done that with people, talked about cer- certain parts of my life that are, I don't look at them as a positive or certainly not proud of them, and they've judged me. That's not fun. The only way you can really do it is when you're secure in the grace of God and you have the courage to say, I need help. That's really the first step. Uh, uh, any 12-step program will tell you that the first step to getting help is admitting that you have a problem. They're right about that. Let me ask you this. How do you know if you have a problem? I'll tell you how. If you've got somebody in your life that has pointed to something in your life and said, that's a problem, then you have a problem. Right? They know it. They can see it. Dude, bro, you got a problem. If you've got a secret that you're carrying or some shame, and I get up here like I did last week and I talk about, Lord, search me and know my heart. And you're like, ooh, I don't want God to search and know my heart. This thing is in there. He'll see it. He'll find it. I don't want him to find that. That's my shame. This is the moment that you can experience the grace of God, the same grace that saves you and carries you to strengthen you, and you can admit it. And you have to admit it because you will not correct what you are unwilling to confront. I'll say that again. That's gold. You will not correct what you are unwilling to confront. If you just keep shoving it down and saying, that's not a problem, it's not a problem, but you know it's a problem. And you just want to keep it in the dark where it can grow a little bigger, and you, it, it's causing problems. It's causing problems in your marriage. It's causing problems in a relationship. It's causing problems between you and God, and you won't confront it. It just keeps growing. You can't correct what you're unwilling to confront. You just admit it. I, I need help. And you aren't afraid to ask for help because you have the security and strength of God's grace to sustain you. You say, Brett, asking for help is a sign of weakness. Who told you that? Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of incredible strength and wisdom. If you've got a guy trying to move a refrigerator down the steps by himself, and you, you're walking by and you say, hey, brother, can I help you with that? No, I'm good. I got it. No, dude, if I don't help you, that thing's going to crush you. Let me help you. It's the height of stupidity to try to do a two-man job by yourself. At which point, every man in here is going, I've been stupid. I've done that. I'd be amazed what I can move by myself. I shouldn't. So why can't I stop eating? Why Why can't I stop scrolling on social media and wasting hours? It's okay to get on there and look for a minute. Don't let it consume your day. Don't let it invade your spirit. Why can't I stop looking at lustful images? Why can't I stop gossiping? Why why can't I get off this thing that I'm addicted to? I can't tell you completely because it's complicated, but I know that the root problem is spiritual. In most cases, you're probably trying to, to lean into the poison of religion, and you're not leaning into the power of grace. And at a deeper level, what you're really trying to do is you're trying so hard to put something in there to ease the pain because deep down, this is a spiritual issue. And you're trying to fit something into a space that's not designed to go in there. 
Maybe you just feel alone or depressed or left out or you feel empty on the inside or overwhelmed or you feel anxiety or frustration or anger. And here's the root so often the problem is you're trying to relieve a need or a hurt with something beside God's grace. Don't do that. So what do you do when you try to stop and the problem doesn't go away and it gets worse? And the voice on the inside just keeps saying, do better. (laughs) Do better. Try harder. Do better. Remember, anytime you hear that voice, what you're hearing is the poison of religion. That is not the power of grace. That's religion speaking to you. We are not here to try harder. We're here to trust more. We're going to put our trust in our faith, not in our grit. We're going to put it in God's grace. I love this out of Romans. I love the book of Romans, but chapter 5, verse 20. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where there is sin, there is more grace. Where there is temptation, there is more grace. Where there is shame, there's more grace. There's always more grace. Where there's loneliness, where there's more brokenness, where there's more hurt, there is more of God's grace. Here's the good news. God's grace is always enough. It's always enough. It is exactly what you need. Scripture says that whenever you are tempted, God is is gracious and he is faithful and he will provide a way out for you. Grace always makes sure there's a way. You don't have to do it. There's a way out of it. I'm going to wrap up here in a minute, but before I do, I have to ask you a really serious question. Some of you are too young to answer this. You'll have no idea what I'm talking about. How many of you were classic arcade gamers? Let me see. Oh, yeah. These are my people right here. These are my people. I used to have a little job at a department store, made about $35, $40 a week. I spent it all on, on dates and the arcade. I'd love to know how many quarters I have fed into an asteroid machine. I was an asteroid king. I could retire probably pretty well on what I gave to asteroids when I was 17, 18, 16 years old. Let me, if you don't know what asteroids is, let me explain. You're in this, it's a simple game. You're in this little triangular ship, that's it in the middle, and it shoots things. And yet these asteroids come out, starts out with about four or five of them, the big rocks there that you see. And the goal is to shoot them enough that they eventually disappear, but they break down into smaller rocks. The smaller the rocks get, the faster they move. And you're floating around, and you can pivot as well. You can move and pivot and shoot, and that's when you know you're looking at somebody who's really good. And, and you just try to clear the screen. And then another screen comes, and then another screen comes. And eventually what happens is the little spaceship comes out. And the spaceship is spitting bullets randomly. Usually one has got your name on it. Pew, pew, pew. How many remember? Remember? Yeah. Is your adrenaline pumping right now? Like, yeah, asteroids. And, you know, there were two buttons on either side, and you could, or two on one side and a fire button. And then in the middle, there was this really cool button called hyper, you remember, what, what was it? Hyperspace. So if you were going to get hit by an asteroid or by a bullet, you could slap the, the hyperspace button and you would temporarily disappear off the screen so you wouldn't get hurt. It was a way out. And then a second or two later, you would appear somewhere else, hopefully not in front of an asteroid, but you would appear somewhere else on the screen, hopefully safer, and you could, you could you know, go on about your business. Listen, God's got something better than a hyperspace button. God's got a hyper grace button, Right? Hyper grace, he will provide for you a way out. 
You don't have to do it. You don't have to die in that place. You don't have to continually do that thing over and over again. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So you don't have to change by trying more, but by trusting more. Not by focusing on the outside behavior. You just trust God to change you from the inside out. Because the grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you. It doesn't forgive you of your sin. It it doesn't just forgive you of sin. It frees you from it. That's what we say around here all the time. You have been set free by Jesus. Your sin should not enslave you. God's grace is available to all. Now let me close with this passage and then I'm done. I love Romans. I love this little passage in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, it is God's kindness, or, or some, some versions use the word patience. It is God's kindness, his forgiveness, his patience with us that leads us to repentance. What is repentance? Change. So you could say this verse, it is God's kindness that leads us to change. So what I want to paint the picture for you this morning of whatever it is that is going on in your world that you can't seem to get over. God, why can't I, I, why can't I get victory? Listen, God's kind. I want, I want you to see God looking over you, loving you. He loves you. He's not up there with a scowl on his face saying, look at that miserable, pitiful wretch of a person. No. He loves you. He's full of grace and forgiveness and mercy for you. And his hope is that one day you will wake up and recognize that and say, I cannot keep doing this to God. And God, I'm just going to turn this over to you and trust you to, as I pursue you with my whole heart to just let you fix this in me. I'm not going to try harder. I'm going to trust more. The grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you. We're going to have people down front to pray with you if you would like that after the service, if you've got something that you just feel like you'd love to be prayed over, if you would like to give your life to Christ, if you want to get baptized, if you, there'll, there'll be somebody down front to, to meet with you and pray with you, talk to you. Uh, let me pray over you before we go. And have I just told you lately how much I love you? Man, did I miss you. It's good to be back. Let's pray. Father, everybody in this room has got something they're trying to get on top of. Something that's a trouble spot for them. Something that probably is, is a, it's like a pebble in our shoe that we, our walk isn't real good with you because that thing is there. And we're like, you know, we keep trying to take it out and it finds its way back in. And, and God, it's just exasperating. And some people may have walked in here on the verge of giving up. It's possible some have walked in here and they already have given up. Don't let them do that, Father. Help them to see it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting you. It's about being in full pursuit of who you are. And when your love invades and you're great, we understand what grace is and we have been set free and, and not, no sin we commit is bigger than your grace. We cannot sin beyond your capacity to save us and to love us. Then we're free. And we can trust you to take care of these things that we're trying to get on top of. Not trying harder, trusting more. We love you, Father. We worship and honor you in this space. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.